Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Love me, Coeur d'Alene, and I'm loving the weather. Um, it looks like our weather is turning around. It never is good for Memorial Day, but today it's turning out good post-Memorial Day, of course. So um, today I'm super excited to have Dr. Jared Wallen on our show today. He is a urologist, and he, we're going to be discussing discussing erectile dysfunction. Um, I'm just going to tell you up front, we're going to get into the anatomy and physiology of, of a male. So if you're not comfortable with that, um, you might not want to listen. Um, but one thing is, is it is a true... Um, you know, it is a medical issue and it can actually, and he's going to talk about that. It can actually be, um, can lead into a predictor of other medical issues. So without further ado, um, Dr. Wallen, welcome back to our show. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit as we as we um, introduced um, introduce you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. So uh, I went to medical school at Rush University on the west side of Chicago, and then spent five years in urologic surgery training at uh, University of Southern Florida in Tampa, and then did some research, clinical research, with uh, Gerard Henry out of uh, Louisiana, who's a men's health specialist. Uh, also the uh, now chairman at, at the University of Southern Florida, Rafael Carrion, is a, a, a internationally known men's health specialist, just like Dr. Henry. So, you know, the combination of working with both of those guys uh, and just being able to work with all the other specialists throughout the world and, and even in, within our country locally through the, the National Society, the National Society of Sexual Medicine uh, has been great. And, and obviously it's a like you said, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but, you know, we try to keep it classy as much as possible. Uh, but again, it is it is a very um, sensitive topic in the fact that, you know, actually, it, if you have erectile dysfunction, it can be a three to five year check engine life for possible uh, heart issues, whether that's coronary artery disease leading to a possible heart attack, whether that's, you know, neural artery disease leading to a possible stroke type stuff. Uh, and so that can be one of the, the first warning signs that we ever know before we ever experience these things clinically. So I, I know in a previous podcast before, you discussed why that is. Can you, can you discuss why that is? Why would it affect the male anatomy before it would affect the heart or, or before it would affect the, the brain? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a little cross-section of a penis. Basically, if we slice it in half as much as, as gruesome as that is, ah. <laughs> and you can see the little artery that's running down the middle of the corpora on each side. And that, that corpora is basically the blood-filled chamber if you think about the, the penis basically as an inflatable rod, it's basically a blood-filled chamber that fills with blood and essentially creates stiffness for an erection. So that artery, the cavernosal artery, is actually two millimeters in diameter on average, which actually the coronary vessels leading to your heart are actually four millimeters on, av on average. And so they're basically double the size as the, the arteries leading to the penis. And so typically, you have to have about 60% blockage or so, or 70% blockage for it to clinically uh, be significant as, as far as your heart goes um, and, and potentially leading to heart attacks at that point. And for the same reasons, if you have a 50% blockage in the heart, it may not necessarily cause major issues yet, but that same 50% blockage may essentially 100% occlude the, the small two millimeter arteries leading to the penis. And so that's where it, it truly can be kind of a three to five year indicator. If you have erectile dysfunction, you know, certainly something you should think about doing is getting your heart checked out 
and making sure you know that all things are good upstairs. We always say that anything that's good for the heart is good for below the belt as well. But in this case, if there's something going on downstairs, that could be a potential warning sign for uh, major heart issues potentially down the road. So tell us what what can cause erectile dysfunction. There's probably many causes of it, obviously. Let's go into the anatomy of it and what can cause it um, to begin with. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there's kind of four main causes. You know, vascular dysfunction, like we just talked about, is the, is the number one cause. That's about 40% or so. Then you can certainly have neurologic causes, uh, whether that's diabetes attacking the nerves and the sugars in the bloodstream attacking the nerves, or whether that's a spinal cord injury or something of that nature, or even you know, prostate cancer surgery, bladder cancer surgery, rectal surgery for rectal cancer or colon cancer, you know, these can all disrupt the nerve uh, uh, firing to the the pelvis. And so that can certainly uh, play a role from that standpoint. Beyond that, there, you know, there's any number of other issues that can cause it, whether it's psychological. I mean, certainly sometimes if you have, remember, uh, in order to get an erection, it's a parasympathetic response, which means that the vasodilation occurs to allow the blood to flow in and essentially kind of fill up that chamber and give you the, the rigidity or the stiffness. And so, for instance, from a psychological standpoint, say say you're at odds with your partner and you're having, you know, you've been having stressors and, you know, whether it's financial problems or whatever other problems you have, if you just don't aren't getting along well and, and there's a lot of stress there, remember that stress response is typically kind of a a sympathetic response and a clenching of the system and basically kind of vasoconstriction. And so that can kind of counteract the ability to to get a and and or maintain a good erection. So, you know, those are kind of the main main kind of generalized categories that are out there. You know, you certainly can have, um, you know, other issues that go on that can cause it as well, though. So that's great. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, I really appreciate it. So, um, what about treatment? So, you know, treatment obviously from is going to be from more of an anatomy standpoint. If there's some psychology or sociology things or, yeah, psychology things involved, um, I don't think a urologist can really help with that necessarily. I mean, I suppose you do do a lot of counseling on that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly it's it's something where, you know, that's where we work with other specialists or, you know, the, the sexual therapists or what have you and refer folks to them. And get them on board with that from that standpoint. But certainly, you know, in the meantime, there's always, you know, there's there's pelvic floor physical therapy, which can help kind of strengthen some of the muscles in the in the pelvis and kind of reinforce the vascular system. There's, you know, obviously the oral pills, Viagra Cialis, Levitra, whatever, what you name it. There's a number of them out there that probably you all have heard of. Um, beyond that. There's things like the the little handy vacuum erection device that basically uh, kind of engulfs the penis, and you know you kind of slide it on and, and essentially kind of pump it up. It pulls uh, blood into the penis through a vacuum, essentially created in the tube, and that it causes engorgement. And that's kind of like a um, an artificial way to kind of recreate what normal physiology does. Typically, that's used in combination with a little ring that goes at the base of the penis to kind of do what normally happens remember so basically as the blood flows in and fills up these chambers what happens is that the little veins that that are in the penis actually are squished close and so that way basically that blood can be trapped there normal physiologic response then is basically after orgasm after ejaculation the system kind of clamps back down this the sympathetic system kicks back in 
and those those veins are allowed to drain again and that's how we get detumescence or essentially kind of re return to flaccidity um, and so from that standpoint there, there's those obviously there are uh, little injections that can be done to the penis basically you take a, a tiny tiny little insulin needle and just poke right through the skin into this this corporate cavernaso chamber and basically that delivers all the medications all the signals needed for an erection that basically bypasses the spinal cord bypasses the brain you know they mostly can overcome a lot of vascular issues although not the most severe um and then beyond that you know there are a lot of experimental stuff you know anything again anything that's good for your heart your brain from a vascular standpoint is also good for below the belt so i would certainly say making sure you're getting plenty of rest you know sleep is so important uh, making sure your hormones are normal and optimized and balanced um, you know again just talking about sleep a little bit more you know basically uh, most folks are probably best served sleeping in about 68 degrees and to help get them get into deep sleep the, the most often or that especially that REM sleep but also we talked about you know previous conversations if you even just for one week if you miss out on that seven to eight hour window of, of sleep and you're only getting about four to five hours for the week your hormone levels actually drop to about 10 years your your age so or 10 years older than your age and so you know from that standpoint certainly making sure that's it that's in check um obviously anything that's good for that there are a slew of you know different supplements or or what have you that can increase increase nitric oxide um, and or uh, essentially are good for your vascular system, whether that's L-arginine or pentoxifiline. These are all uh, different supplements and medications that are out there that can be helpful from that standpoint. You know, also I think there's there's a couple of different things that are still considered experimental from the the sexual medicine societies. Those would be uh, essentially stem cells, platelet-rich plasma or PRP, and then also uh, what's called low-intensity shockwave uh, lithotripsy or, or essentially shockwave um, therapy for erectile dysfunction, which basically is kind of as taken from previous cardiac research in the initial phases where they delivered low-intensity ultrasound waves. It's not like you're actually getting electrical shocks or anything like that, but it's, it's basically ultrasound waves that cause disruption and uh, expansion and contraction of the cells, again, at a cellular level, um, to essentially cause, uh, you know, kind of some minor damages to where it essentially kind of uh, causes the body or stimulates the body to regenerate. It's, it's no different than if, say, you had a little mole on your, on your forehead and you took a little razor to it, you know, four or five times a day and kind of scraped the surface. Over time, likely what you would see is that your body's normal processes would essentially kind of regenerate and, and take care of that as you do that, you know, essentially kind of exfoliation, right? So from that standpoint, the shockwave can be thought about similarly, where basically it's, it's kind of delivering low intensity ultrasonic shockwaves to the, the penis in this case, and those big corporal arteries that we talked about, that whole, this whole pink stuff on the top is, is the entire corporal uh, cavernosal chamber on each side. There's two of them that run the length of the penis. And, and basically they're big, smooth muscle blood filled tissues right and so it gets little shocks in there or or the little ultrasound waves in there causing enough disruption to where it actually helps repair the uh, vascular the angiogenesis or the vascular system the arteries and the veins in the penis and so that's that's one that's out there that certainly can be helpful uh, important to note that with that one you know ultimately 
you're going to want to make sure that you're using focused acoustic wave ultrasound and not radial wave ultrasound. There's a lot of different options out there. Uh, there's a Storz device that's probably the only one that's delivering focused acoustic wave ultrasound in the country right now that's FDA approved. And so from that standpoint, uh, you certainly, if you're going to look into that type of therapy, you want to make sure you know what you're getting as far as what you're paying for. So focused acoustic wave ultrasound uh, shockwave lithotripsy for the penis is, is important, not radial wave. And then finally, you know, again, to some extent, no matter what we do, uh, in the most severe cases, we can never fix everything, uh, unfortunately. But there's always the solution of the penile implant, which is basically an outpatient surgery. Usually takes roughly 30 to 45 minutes. And basically what it is, is it's a little three-piece device that you see here, where you have essentially two little cylinders that go inside the penis, inside the blood-filled chambers, where they normally would. It's basically a fluid hydraulic system. you got a little bulb, kind of like the, the old Reebok shoe, that's your, that's your pump. And then you have a little fluid-filled reservoir that's basically just all – it's filled with injectable saline. And basically what you do is you pump, 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 and then these cylinders fill with blood just like your, your carpal cavernosa would normally and basically become rigid that way. And then ultimately you have stiffness for or rigidity for uh, sexual intercourse or, or what have you, any activities that you may, you may participate in. So those, that's kind of the gamut. I know that's a lot of a lot of yeah, it is. That was, that was good. So <laughs> let's, you know, I, I mean, I, I love it, Dr. Wallen, because um, I know you're an expert on this subject, and I love it when I have guests like yourself because it makes my job a lot easier. I don't really have to ask a lot of questions. You just you just go <laughs> on. So I love it. Thank you. It was great, great discussion on the anatomy, physiology of it, and and the treatment. So, in a stepwise approach, yep. um, as a urologist, what would be your first go to? if um, somebody had erectile dysfunction? Well, uh, I mean, again, usually we typically try medicines first, right? Oh, and or lifestyle inner, inner, you know, changes, right? So quitting smoking, quitting drinking, or at least cutting back on, on drinking if you can. Certainly smoking is very important because, uh, you know, that tobacco nicotine causes vasoconstriction pretty significantly and also causes, you know, endothelial dysfunction as well. So from that standpoint, that's a huge uh, problem. Um, but, you know, again, a, a heart-healthy diet, lots of fruits and vegetables, you know, trying to have potentially more fish than, than red meat, um, and certainly making sure you're getting active every day, 30 to, 30 to 40 minutes, you know, five days a week, you should be doing some type of cardiovascular activity, even if that's just walking. Uh, that's even, you know, a brisk walk can still... Uh, I mean, for instance, myself, I usually kind of low impact. One of my workouts throughout the week is is about four miles walking, but I combine it with, you know, 100 push-ups and, and I also do kind of weights while I'm walking. And so basically in, in four miles in about an hour, I can burn 600 calories. And so that's that's pretty significant. And it's not something it's something that anybody can do. Um, but so beyond that, you know, otherwise, we certainly talk talk about medications, but a lot of times remember that HMP, that, that history and physical for the patient is so important. If you've had major pelvic surgery, if you've had, you know, spinal cord injury, if you've had other things go on, you know, certainly that's something that you're going to want to discuss with your, your physician. And, and, you know, that may be, unfortunately, maybe one reason medications may not work for you. And, and, and actually even diabetes, diabetes is known to be a problem where, where oral medications will fail in diabetics quite often. 
And so from that standpoint, you know, we certainly go through the gamut and talk to them about all of the options and at least kind of brush, you know, brush over the top of, of the 50,000 foot level of here's all the options that are out there. We can start here, but there's certainly more down the road that we can try if unfortunately you're, you're, you fail with the, the medications or, or whatever other treatment we start with. So let's talk about some lifestyle issues. You already mentioned it with smoking and drinking. Um, so let's talk about um, alcohol and how it affects sexual dysfunction. Because um, I know some people, unfortunately, um, they feel like they can't even have intercourse if they don't drink. And so tell us what the effects of alcohol is on not just sexual dysfunctions, maybe erectile dysfunction, but what about um, orgasms and things like that? Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's not a lot of clear-cut data out there, but I mean, I think certainly in, in moderation uh, and uh, not in, in acute nature, you know, it certainly can be, uh, it can lower your inhibitions and it can allow you to essentially kind of participate more freely. Uh, but certainly in a chronic situation, certainly that does have effects on the liver, right? And that's where a lot of your cholesterol metabolism occurs and, and testosterone you know, remember, testosterone is essentially an end product of cholesterol metabolism. Uh, obviously, that that happens in the in the testicle rather than in the liver itself. But certainly, if there's dysfunction with your cholesterol metabolism, it's also going to create dysfunction with your hormone production. So that can certainly affect it in that manner. You know, certainly, um, I mean, any any time, uh, even even talking about not even just. Um, uh, necessarily the, the, you know, the activities that we do as far as drinking and smoking and other drugs and such, but, you know, even just from a medical standpoint, from medications, you know, commonly uh, SSRIs or these antidepressants are actually used for uh, ejaculatory problems, you know, especially premature ejaculation. Although, unfortunately, more and more uh, data has kind of come out and, and more and more patients have kind of come forward talking about the the sexual dysfunction that can occur with those as well and so you know it's kind of a double-edged sword uh you know unfortunately some of these medications you know aren't even are, are only about 50 percent effective for you know anxiety depression and then on top of that you're getting you know worsening of your your medical problems especially from a sexual standpoint you know unfortunately if you're having anxiety depression already and then you start having you know uh, sexual dysfunction that's not going to make your anxiety depression any better. So, you know, from that standpoint, that's that's certainly something to always discuss with your physician when you're getting prescribed these medications. You know, again, certainly all of these all these uh, possible options, whether it's you know smoking cigarettes and the vasoconstriction, whether it's alcohol, chronic alcohol use, and and the the hit on the liver that happens, or even you know, for instance, cocaine. I mean, a lot of times that can participate or precipitate. Uh, that that four to six hour or longer erection, which you know basically what happens in that situation is, is called priapism, is the clinical term. But basically, what happens is all the blood gets trapped in the penis, and and it, it never gets new blood, and it, there's no oxygen and nutrients there after four to six hours. And until you relieve that, essentially you start to get cell death. And again, that that can certainly cause some erectile dysfunction problems as well. Uh, because of that cell death and the smooth muscle tissue. 
So isn't there some other, thank you for that. Um, isn't there some other class of drugs? You talked about SSRIs for depression and we know about some of the angiolytics for anxiety that can, you know, maybe um, precipitate sexual dysfunction, but aren't there some other drugs, maybe like blood pressure drugs and stuff like that, that we should really watch for that can cause that. And as you as a urologist, do you talk to your patients about that? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, a lot, a lot of people are on blood pressure medications, you know, certainly from high salt, high sugar intake and, and not enough water intake and the dysregulation that happens in the vascular system because of that. And also just lack of activity, right? That, that certainly plays a role in blood pressure. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different, we could, we could probably spend a whole hour just on all the different medications, but yes, blood pressure medications specifically, it's known that if you decrease your, for instance, if you have or even if you have high blood pressure, if you decrease your blood pressure about 10 millimeters per mercury, which is, you know, if you're 150 over 80, dropping down to 140 or, or 70 on those numbers, essentially it's known to precipitate a worsening of erectile function. And so from that standpoint, remember your, your system is a big pump. If you're relaxing the vasculature everywhere else, because usually to some extent, not, not necessarily in a severe nature, but to some extent, as you're essentially kind of becoming aroused, it, it, it kind of clamps down and funnels some of the blood to the penis, right? And so if you're essentially relaxed throughout your entire system, it makes it that much harder to essentially kind of build up the pressure that you need to create an erection. And so that's where, you know, certainly blood pressure medications can be a big problem uh, precipitating ED issues and, and could be, you know, one of the big drivers of folks walking in the door uh, to essentially get treatment for erectile problems. And so with all these different treatments, um, it sounds like, you know, from a pharmacist standpoint, um, you know, the stepwise approach would be the phosphodiesterase inhibitors like Tadalafil, Cialis, Viagra, things like that first. And that doesn't work for everybody for obvious reasons like you, like you stated, but they are oral medications. So they're going to be the least invasive. Um, and the second step would probably be like possibly an injection um, like you're talking about, Alprosidil, possibly at least I, I'm going from a pharmacist standpoint. I'm thinking from farm standpoint. So the great news is though, is we have other things rather than pharmacological interventions. Um, and, and the last one being that you talked about is an implant and an, an implant. Right. And so is there any reason, Dr. Wallen, that somebody couldn't have an implant if they failed all the other treatments? Is there any reason they have to live, live with erectile dysfunction or could they be a candidate for um, an implant or why not? Well, I mean, there's certainly uh, some counterindications. I mean, obviously there's, there's allergies to the materials in these devices, very rare, seen it maybe only in one or two patients that I've, that I've seen. Um, and, and I don't think the literature would suggest that it's the, the incidence of that is much higher. Um, by and large, remember to some extent, if you've had radiation therapy to the pelvis, if you've had surgery to the pelvis, uh, all these different things that could potentially be an option, or if your heart or your lungs are not strong enough to undergo a procedure, then those could be reasons you may not necessarily be a candidate. But otherwise, you know, it's basically done through a small little incision like this. So even for a diabetic person, you know, it could be done through a number of different incisions, but a lot of times it's a small little incision above the penis even for a diabetic person, and, and if you're concerned about wound healing, whether you're on immunotherapy drugs or whether you're diabetic or other things, you know, that small uh, little wound should heal even in that nature. So 
by and large, most people would be a candidate. Um, certainly, if you have severe COPD and you just can't tolerate a one of my old uh, mentors used to always say, listen, that guy couldn't even tolerate a haircut, let alone a surgery. Um, you know, for, so from that standpoint, if you can't tolerate a haircut, then <laughs> we probably shouldn't be doing a surgery on you. But, you know, unless your heart or lungs are that bad or, you know, for some reason, remember, to some extent, if you've had previous radiation uh, to the prostate, a lot of times, unfortunately, the penis will be involved in that field, uh, depending on if you've had external beam or or. Uh, seed therapy. Uh, we're specifically kind of more mentioning about external beam therapy, and that can kind of cause some scar tissue, and and certainly can cause some problems or or potential more difficulties with doing the surgery. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done. So from that standpoint, pretty much anybody could be a candidate. I think a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, it's it's a little bit psychological, right? And so. The I commonly hear from guys, hey, I'm ready to do anything, but I don't want I don't want surgery or I don't want a procedure done or what have you. But you know, quite honestly, it's not just about it's not just about an erection, and that's where I think you know trying to keep it classy, you know, it, to some extent, it's intimacy, right? And and so that's a a quality of life component that you know to a large degree can actually kind of restore relationships if if they're if they're present and and they're corrected you know, and essentially kind of bring that back, bring that vitality and youth back. You know, again, that's where I love, you know, I love uh, regenerative medicine as well. And, you know, obviously if, if we could all essentially kind of take an injection or an IV or whatever and fix whatever problem we have and be exactly like we were when we were 20, of course, we're all going to sign up for that. But in some cases, that's just not the, not the possibility. And so that's where I think you have to be open to the options that are out there that could be effective for you. Because quite honestly, again, you know, uh, folks always laugh about it, but these penile implants, they have high satisfaction. I mean, with the, 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 mil the millions of guys that have been implanted now, patient satisfaction is 95 plus, partner satisfaction is 90 plus, and they're actually very durable. I mean, they last upwards of 15 years, 80 to 90, 80, 60 to 80 percent of guys are still functional 15 years later. So from that standpoint, I mean, you could potentially have one procedure done. And again, if you ask me about it, and I always tell my patients this because I try to tell people exactly what I would want for myself with the knowledge that I have or my family with the knowledge that I have. And I always tell people I'd much rather get an implant than be poking my, poking my penis with a needle every time I want to have sex because really, you know, quite honestly, that's not very fun when you think about, you know, having intercourse or having activities to be, have to be poking your jabbing yourself with a needle down there. So, it kind of ruins intimacy, like you're talking about, right, really. Right, right. It's a you know, it's it's a huge uh, it's a huge problem. If you know, I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of pain some people like, but that's not a that's not a pain that I really want. <laughs> right. I, I, always, I always kind of joke around with my guys, and I'm just like, listen, that's that I've never, never, ever would I have ever wish that I would have to poke myself in the penis with a needle, uh, you know, throughout old age. So, well, and I, I did just on, on these penile implants, I did talk to a patient and she had a partner who had um, prostatectomy. Right. So he needed an implant, you know, he tried all the other avenues and he needed an implant. Right. And this is what she told me. And I think I told this story and she might be making some of this up. I don't know, but they have these that, and she could control it by Bluetooth. I, I'm just, that is super cool. And I could see that being, 
you know, actually kind of a part of foreplay. So, and that's kind of how she used it. So, you know, um, technology is wonderful these days and, you know, we didn't take advantage of that. So in our world of direct care, J um, Jared, Dr. Wallen and transparent pricing, let's talk some prices and we'll just go from the stepwise approach. I can kind of help you with the pharmacy stuff. So really for Cialis or Viagra, now that both are generic, you should not be paying more than $2 a dose. And with Cialis, um, which is Tadalafil, and we make up Tadalafil in our pharmacy, um, you can actually take a good dose on a Friday and it lasts you all weekend long. So that's the nice thing about it. It not only works faster than Viagra, but it works longer too, which pharmacokinetically doesn't make sense, but that's just the way it works out. And I haven't really looked at the kinetics or why it does that, but it does. So um, it's definitely, in my opinion, the go-to over sildenafil, um, which is Viagra. So um, Cialis generic is probably the go-to. You shouldn't pay more than a couple dollars a dose. If you are, please reach out to my pharmacy. We can help you out. Um, and the alprostadil injections, I haven't done those in a while, Dr. Wallen, so you'll have to help me. But um, if you get into a compounding pharmacy, they should be less than four or five dollars a dose. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's pretty. That's a pretty accurate uh, price. I mean, usually you get about a ten milliliter vial, and I think it's you know roughly fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I mean, certainly, um, yeah, I certainly agree with you on the Cialis standpoint. I mean, it's it's the probably the go-to in my practice. Yeah. Um, I think it avoids a lot of the side effects, the blue vision, the stuffiness, the headaches. That Viagra can create, and and again, like you mentioned, if it lasts in your blood seems for for two days or a little bit longer, then you you save money by not having to take more medication and still getting benefits, right? So, okay. from that standpoint, I think that's that's pretty much the go-to in 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 any practice that any any potential patient that I talk to. And vacuum erection device, one of the um, benefits of the vacuum erection device is there's not a lot of disposables. So once you buy the device, which is like four or 500 bucks, is that right? About? No, nowadays it's actually like about a hundred bucks is probably. Oh, is it really? Wow. Average cost, yeah. And uh, um, the rings are reusable, so you don't have a lot of, a lot of cost there. So um, that's what those, those are going to be less than a hundred bucks. Um, again, those might be kind of inconvenient to use, but if the drugs don't work and you don't want surgery, then that definitely is an option. Um, and then surgery, that's, that's set your wheelhouse. Jared, I, uh, I'll let you take over on that one for the implant. Yeah, so surgery, I mean, obviously implant prices vary. I would say a good generalized implant price from a cash standpoint would be about 10 grand. Obviously you're looking at, you know, another probably six grand for anesthesia and, and surgery center because it does need to be performed in a surgery center. It cannot be performed in an office at this point. And then, you know, obviously a couple of grand for a surgeon fee. So I would say a good ballpark for that would be somewhere between sixteen dollars and $20,000 out the door for uh, erectile restoration surgery. And then as far as after that, is there any kind of maintenance on these things or, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we got to check the oil about every three months. <laughs> no, there's so, no, no actually there's not there's not a whole lot of maintenance i mean obviously the biggest the biggest thing that happens after the surgery obviously you do need a short recovery period usually between three to six weeks depending on your surgeon's uh standards uh and then uh, other than that it's really just learning how to use the device and, and being able to operate it is the biggest thing that folks have to overcome which you know again that's where i like there's again i mentioned there's a couple of different types of surgeries a lot of times you can essentially do a, what's called a, a suprapubic or infrapubic surgery, 
where you do a small little incision above the penis uh, in the skin here, or what's called a penoscrotal surgery, which basically does a small little incision at the top side of the scrotum underside of the penis. There is a third, which is called subcoronal, which basically is kind of a circumcising incision, but that's not used very much, uh, more, in, more in advanced Peyronie's disease. But you know, from that standpoint, especially this small little incision up here, I mean, the nice part about it is it avoids the scrotum completely, which is a, a bit dirty uh, to some extent. You get sweaty and, and whatnot in the, grease, in the creases of your growing. But basically, the, the really the big thing is, you know, afterwards, the, the nice part about not having an incision down here is folks can start kind of pulling down on their pump and just making sure it stays in the middle of their scrotum as soon as two or three days after the, after the procedure. And then basically within the first three weeks, they're actually already inflating and deflating. So to inflate, all they really do is just kind of pump, pump, pump after they found the, they felt the, the ball of the pump. And then to deflate, they just essentially kind of find the little button and basically kind of, you know, essentially kind of squeeze that in the opposite direction and that causes it to come down. So that's the biggest thing that folks need to, to kind of overcome in the aftermath of surgery. Otherwise, you know, unless you have, for some reason, the implant kind of sticking out through your skin because you're too rough or because you've had skin breakdown in that area or, or something of that nature, or if, if sometimes, you know, these little tubes can unfortunately malfunction and break where, where essentially the fluid leaks out, it's not harmful, it's, it's injectable saline, so it's, it's safe. But, you know, that, that could be a reason for repair. Um, but again, the, the rate of that is so is pretty low, you know, from that standpoint, again, 68% of these are still functional, you know, 15, 10 to 15 years later. So, you know, from that standpoint, it, it's, it's um, a minority of folks that are having those issues. Uh, you know, obviously, again, unfortunately, if you have, you know, dental fillings, you do need to be careful and potentially maybe take some different antibiotics as prophylaxis. Uh, or other types of systemic infections, you know, that's, that's the one big thing that can happen. We say that the, the uh, incidence of infection in this situation is, is about 1% or 2% for an initial surgery. If you, have a, if you have to have a revision surgery, that jumps up to, you know, about 15 to 20%. And to some extent, unfortunately, remember, just like a knee or a hip or a shoulder, if that, if that implant becomes infected, then it has to come out. It can't stay in there. It will never clear the infection that way. And so from that standpoint, you, you essentially either need to have, you know, kind of some, there are some little rods that can kind of go in there as kind of a space saver because we don't want those little chambers to collapse after we've kind of already inflated them and, and essentially kind of disrupted the normal soft, uh, soft tissue in there, smooth muscle soft tissue in there because they will collapse and scar down and that becomes a much, much more significant surgery to try to fix. Um, but again, there are some rods that can be placed in there for a temporary period of time. They can be functional as well and, and essentially they can be used that way. But ultimately a lot of guys will essentially kind of elect to go back to the inflatable device just because the rods are, they're, they're, I think they're nice if you don't have manual dexterity. And I know you mentioned the Bluetooth activation. I, I don't think that's actually on the market yet. So I'm not sure what your patient was referring to, but, but it is coming. <laughs> there is one of the implant uh, companies, Boston Scientific, that have been, they've been working on that for a while. So hopefully, actually, probably within the next year or two, that may be on the market. So um, that, you know, because that's, that's actually one thing. Remember, in order to get this fluid hydraulic system to work, it's a manual pump, right? So if you're 70, 80, 90, and you're otherwise healthy, but it's not working downstairs and you still want to be able to have that portion of your quality of life, 
you either have to have a partner that can do this pump or you, you got to be able to use both hands or, you know, again, that's, that's one reason where the rods can be a potential better option. Um, unfortunately it's, it's just a little bit funky to kind of kind of bend them up, bend them down and try to kind of hide them. Whereas with this, you know, again, these, these cylinders are inflated right now, but I can grab the little, the little pump on the ball valve on the pump here, squeeze this and, and you can't hear it necessarily. And I'm just going to squeeze it to speed it up. But basically all the water is transferring back to this little fluid reservoir yeah. as we're talking. And basically right. with that, then you're actually pretty flaccid like you otherwise would be right. other than, you know, you do have a little scaffolding, little structure that you may kind of notice differently than it, than it was physiologically the way God made you. But again, it's, it's a lot more easy to hide that than it is, you know, kind of some semi-rigid rods. Awesome. Dr. Wallen. Always a pleasure to have you on. You are definitely an expert in this subject. And, you know, um, I just, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge so much. So I always appreciate your time. So as we finish up this podcast, where do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, youandme.com uh, is, our, is our website and our, our phone number is 941-212-1600. So you can go either way. Uh, that'll get directly to me uh, and who are our staff. And those are the best ways to get in touch. Obviously, all the, all the social media is all, always out there too, but uh, those, are, those are direct routes. Thank you, Dr. Wallen. You've definitely uh, realized our goal of educating and empowering individuals to take charge of their health. And uh, erectile dysfunction, sexual health is very, very important for our overall health. So thank you for educating us. Have a great one, everybody. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And thank you, <laughs> listeners and viewers, for tuning in today. Um, we Tune in Monday because we will be back on our regular schedule, Monday, 1230 to 130. We will have Dr. Michael Turner. He's been on our podcast a couple times before. He specializes in functional medicine and hormone balancing also. And he's going to be talking about anti-aging. So I think it's a very important subject because none of us really want to get older. We want to we want to think about how we can stay youthful, even though it's impossible to, to, to really stop anti-aging. But how do we make it so we age healthy? So he's going to be talking about that. So tune in uh, Monday, 1230 to 130. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in.